The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fork. Today, don't fight the Fed. Big week ahead for stocks with a rate decision coming, the busiest week of earnings and jobs all on deck for later in the week. Plus, the TikTok CEO heads to Washington. What that means for competitors like Meta, Snap, and Alphabet. Later on, an exclusive with the CEO of SoFi. That stock is popping today on a pretty upbeat earnings forecast, D, and the stock is responding. Yeah, it sure is. And let's get a gut check on the broader markets as we kick off the last trading week of January. What a January it has been. Stocks today, though, are near session lows. The Nasdaq is leading the declines off more than uh, nearly one and a half percent, let's call it. That move lower coming as rates move higher ahead of the big Fed meeting this week. The safety trade outperforming today. Staples, utilities, they are rallying. Tech and energy are the laggards, John. The 10-year at about three, five, four, six. All right. Yeah, and meanwhile, you could say it is a make or break week for the markets and for the rally we've been having. We're going to get the Fed's decision on interest rates on Wednesday, investors are hoping that a slowdown in hikes is here. The street's anticipating a 25 basis point hike, but 50 technically still in the cards. And then we've got a slew of data that's going to give us a glimpse into the state of the economy. The jobs report, consumer confidence, ISM, and factory orders, just to name a few. And then there's earnings with the Nasdaq's big outperformance on the line. We're going to hear from Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, and Meta. About 20% of the S&P 500 is reporting, making it the busiest week of the season, guys. It's very true, D. Uh, B of A did some nice work over the weekend looking at how stocks fare on this particular week of earnings season where it's the yeah. busiest uh, news flow. Stocks tend not to trade so well uh, this particular week. It's the following week where you get a lot more green arrows. At least that's what history would show you. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at the mega cap on a huge week of earnings, lower to start. Microsoft, Google, Amazon, all down by more than 2%. Guys, it'll be interesting to see what this week tells us about enterprise spending in particular. I know we're also very focused on ad spending, but I mentioned this last week that I was talking to a CEO here, and he said that while he's not cutting marketing costs, he is cutting cloud costs. Remember, this is... Um, you can cut as much as you need to. It is a transaction-based model, consumption-based model. That Azure guidance worried many in the market, but it didn't last very long. So you have to wonder if AWS from Amazon, Google Cloud, those growth rates could disappoint and that get investors nervous again about that enterprise spending. Take a look at, you know, Amy Hood from Microsoft warned about a four to five percentage point decrease quarter over quarter. What is that going to look like for AWS and Google Cloud? Um, you know, B of A last week, John, said that you could see high teens, mid to high teens for AWS this year. Yeah, all of that's true. You know, Thursday is just such a huge day for earnings. So I'm trying to look for something sooner that I'm interested in. I got to say uh, AMD, right? We hmm. had Pat Gelsinger on on Friday, just a terrible quarter from Intel. And a lot of people wondering how much of that is the PC market overall. 
uh, adjusting to the macro and inventories affecting everybody, how much of that is Intel specifically. And really, it's possible that the inventory overhang that Intel is experiencing could affect AMD in that they have a lot of the same customers. And if these customers have a bunch of Intel chips that they need to burn through, it could be affecting not just their purchase of new Intel chips, but also their purchase of new AMD chips, no matter how much share uh, AMD might be prepared to gain. So we'll get more color on that and how some of these um, some of these macro industry issues are affecting everybody, Carl. Uh, indeed, guys. How should investors navigate uh, this extremely important week for the markets? Joining us this morning, CNBC contributor Megan Shu of Wilmington Trust. Megan, it's great to see you again. I wonder how you are processing this month to date. I don't know what you call it, a short squeeze, uh, unprofitable tech, uh, last year's losers. But whatever it is, uh, has it forced you to have an evolving view of, of the market going forward? Thanks for having me, Carl. Um, to some degree, yes. I think what we've seen from strength this year in the market has been uh, somewhat technical driven, maybe short covering, maybe rebalancing, which, uh, you know, from a tax loss harvesting perspective was huge in 2022 and is starting to, um, you know, show the buyback end of that in 2023. But I think there's also been some really constructive developments on the fundamental and, and economic side, inflation coming down, maybe giving the Fed a little bit more room uh, to pause earlier or even possibly cut rates in 2023. That's still, I think, a little bit of a of a gamble to be betting too much of the farm on. But if inflation does come down uh, dramatically and, and continue in this direction, there is a pathway for that to occur. Right. And yet you're still underweight stocks. Right. So we are slightly underweight stocks, pretty, pretty close to our benchmark, but neutral to U.S., uh, slightly underweight to Europe. Actually, we became a little bit more constructive on international developed over the last few weeks just because of how much has changed in such a really short amount of time. When you think about China reopening, the uh, much better weather for Europe, uh, the fact that we were basically all but guaranteeing a recession in Europe, and now it's looking like that will be averted, I think just shows how quickly things can change on the ground. And you really have to be both nimble, but also not taking gigantic bets. Um, and the strong start to the year is another reason why you don't want to be too defensive. And as it relates to tech specifically, if we are looking at a mild recession this year, um, we would expect tech and some of the more cyclical parts of technology to be leading us out of that. So, um, you know, you're not going to know when that occurs, but we want to be in the game when it does. Yeah. So, Megan, what do you think the, the major catalyst is this week then for markets? There's so much going, out, going on, as we outlined at the top of the show. There's the Fed meeting. There's big tech earnings. There's chip makers. Uh, what are you looking at as your next indication as to whether or not you want to, you know, dip for deeper into equities? Yeah, I mean, the Fed is a big, uh, big driver for this week. I actually probably not the biggest driver. Um, you know, we'll get the employment cost index tomorrow. That is a key indicator that the, that the Fed is watching to see how much pressure is behind wages. Um, and I think that that is something that is really key to understand what the trajectory of inflation and how sticky services inflation will be. But ultimately, I think it comes down to earnings you know, Bloomberg consensus still has about $220 on the S&P 500 for this year. Um, and at a roughly 17 and a half multiple for the broader index, that's a little rich. And if, if um, you do see some softening 
or a mild recession, we'd expect those earnings to come down. So I think hearing from big tech um, and some of the other mega cap uh, names will be really interesting, particularly from a guidance perspective. And, and technology's got a number of headwinds, whether it's ads, um, consumer spending and consumer facing electronics or chips and some of the uh, overhang on, on the memory side. At, at the end of the day, it's really an inventory management problem, um, which just takes time. Yep. A uh, big question is how much time and how quickly or how much in advance uh, the market wants to start discounting uh, that inventory turn. Megan, thanks so much. Good to see you. Megan Shu. Thank you. Now, from a busy week in the U.S. to a historic week overseas, January has been a blowout month for Chinese equities as big money continues to favor international stocks over domestic. And our Seema Modi has more on the pivot. We've been tracking these gains, uh, John, day by day. Really an explosive start to the year. Names like Alibaba and Baidu up over 24% in January. And take a look at this chart. Both of these stocks are up 80 to 90% from their respective lows hit late last year. And that is, of course, pushing valuations higher for the tech-weighted emerging market funds like EMQQ, now trading at 18 times earnings versus the broader emerging markets at 12.5 times earnings. However, other Chinese ETFs that don't have as big of a tech-weighting, FXI is trading at nine times, uh, which is a discount to the broader emerging market world. Julian Emanuel at Evercore ISI says the reason he still expects Chinese ADRs to outperform is that the divergence in earnings story between U.S. and Chinese tech names. While the U.S. is expected to see profit margins squeezed due to a softer economy, China, he says, is still expected to experience EPS expansion in 2023. And Morgan Stanley's $14 billion emerging market fund deputy head of Macro says nothing goes up in a straight line. The fundamentals in China are very aligned as long as the government continues to provide ample support. Goldman has been tracking the reopening over the past two weeks and found that movie box office sales uh, in China, postal package delivery and restaurant sales in China have now exceeded 2019 levels, though they also add that it's still too early to tell from this high frequency data how strong the broader economy will rebound in the coming months. John, uh, in March, that's when the Chinese leadership is expected to set out those those big GDP targets. So we'll see what they do then. Okay, I got to ask you an unanswerable question. But I know you'll take your best stab. Is this big bounce in Chinese tech stocks a bet that the Chinese government crackdown is over or a bet that the COVID lockdowns are going to result, you know, the fact that those are over result in this big bounce back or just the risk on trade focusing on China or like a combination of all that stuff? It seems like a combination of both. Plus, a tr- uh, plus you have to add, of course, the weaker dollar, which when it comes to the emerging market trades plays such a huge role in the outperformance. Uh, you know, when it comes to the last three weeks, we've seen an abrupt reversal in how China is navigating the 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 technology sector as a whole. And while they still might have concerns around a broader crackdown, uh, the, the messaging has very much been around growth and supporting the Chinese economy and not seeing companies leave. So they're trying to change that messaging. They were at Davos trying to tell uh, CEOs there that China is back, don't leave. And so that seems to be, uh, that messaging seems to be echoed broadly. Yeah, they're doing a decent job of it. We know we've been talking about how um, many of the Chinese tech companies in particular are in overbought territory. Seema, the K-Web is up nearly 30 percent over the last six months. And it's interesting when you contrast that to the Indian ETF. Um, It's down about 6 percent in that same amount of time. Yet at the same time, you hear 
Apple, chip makers, other companies um, moving or trying to move some of their manufacturing there. What do you think is holding back investors from the Indian markets? A lot of it does come down to valuation, Deidre. Over the past two years, India has vastly outperformed China. So now you see investors perhaps shifting that trade a bit uh, with China now outperforming India. Plus, there's a huge corporate story that's happening on the ground there where they're the richest man, Gautam Adani, mm. uh, mm-hmm. under attack by short seller Hindenburg, getting the support of activist investor Bill Ackman here. Uh, and, and so that certainly has weighed on sentiment. I spoke to Morgan Stanley's uh, emerging market fund manager about this, and she says it's, it's a concern, but it's more of a, a short-term risk for the India trade. Okay, so that's not going to muddy the waters for the Indian government overall because they are kind of implicated in being close to him, right? Yeah, Adani is known for having close ties to the prime minister. So the concern is that has his close ties allowed him to prosper in certain ways? And so now the big question is whether Indian regulators will step up and conduct reviews. So far, we've heard no word of that happening, um, but that will really tell us uh, how regulators there are, are handling the story and whether there's more to come. Great insight into that international stock action. Yeah. Zuma, thanks. Still to come this morning, the CEO of SoFi. That stock is surging after upbeat earnings guidance. Shares on pace for their best day since about early November. Tech Check is just getting started. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the U. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Look at SoFi. That stock is up more than 14% after beating on the top and bottom lines in Q4 Earnings guidance for the year ahead coming in well above consensus, helping send shares up about 50% since the start of the year. With us now in a first on CNBC interview, SoFi CEO Anthony Noto. Anthony, um, wow. Okay, so why are we? Uh, why is the market surprised at this? What led to these results? And then uh, tell us a bit about personal loan originations, which are uh, a bit lower than some might have expected. Uh, Thank you, John, for having me on. We reported our seventh consecutive quarter of record revenue uh, with growth of 58% year over year, which is an acceleration in year over year growth compared to what we did in the third quarter at about 51% growth. We combined that with really strong profitability, uh, $70 million of EBITDA, that was up 55% compared to Q3. And we finished the year with a really strong quarter in what was an exceptional year overall. We finished the year with about $1.5 billion of revenue up 50% year over year. Our member base grew very meaningfully throughout the year, ending at 5.2 million members, also up 50%. And we had really strong product growth from cross-buying. So the strategy is really coming together and our national bank charter has really put a wind at our back. It's giving us the ability to offer a really high interest rate on checking and savings. We're offering 3.75% interest on savings and 2.5% on checking. And we're doing that um, in a way that's very unique. There's no fees. 
uh, free overdraft protection, full function on your phone to be able to pay or spend when you want, where you want. Um, and that product's helping fuel our ability to drive deposits. And then we're using those deposits to fund our loans at about 190 basis points, lower cost of funding than if we'd borrowed money from banks to lend to our customers. So right. the overall strategy is working. We have the flywheel going, so, uh, going really well. So um, in the quarter, I, I became a lot more familiar with the SoFi app uh, and those interest rates. Not an endorsement, but, you know, I, I'm watching the interest rates like a lot of consumers are. Tell me uh, to what degree uh, the, the customer acquisition has changed as the economy has shifted, particularly over the past seven, eight months. How much are people coming to you for the APY on deposits versus loans or, you know, any of the other perhaps more speculative things that they might have been coming for before? Yeah, the checking and savings product, John, you hit the nail on the head. It's the tip of the sword. It's our ability to differentiate our product the most significantly versus other competitors that aren't able to offer that same interest rate. Because of the collection of businesses that we have and that diverse portfolio, we're in four different lending products in, in home loans, personal loans, um, refinance student loans, and, and college loans. In addition to that, we have a credit card as well as our invest product. Uh, in addition to that, we offer many other services. Um, and so we want to use the checking savings account as that product that really builds trust and reliability with our members. And then once they need a second product, because they do trust us and they've gotten a very unique offering, they choose us for their second product. And that's when the fly reel really starts to move. So the checking savings account and that high APY is definitely uh, very attractive to them. But the functionality and ease of use and trust are also important elements that wrap it all together. Hey, Anthony, good morning. It's Deirdre. We just showed um, our audience a screen of different savings APYs at different banks. Um, Yours is up there, as you said, plus 3%. Marcus from Goldman Sachs, there he goes, at 3.3%. Um, but we've been talking over the last few weeks um, certainly about how much money that division is losing at Goldman. It's also, you know, under scrutiny by regulators. What are you doing differently that's going to allow you guys to become gap profitable in the fourth quarter of this year, right? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is we are a one-stop shop for all your financial services needs right on your app. Uh, the other companies that you mentioned only have one or two point solutions. And in fact, the specific product that you mentioned is just a savings account. Our account is a checking account and savings account. And typically, uh, you can't use those accounts interactively the way you can with us. We do not limit the number of transactions that you do from your savings account at SoFi. We want you to make money on your money, not pay us money and not restrict your money. Um, and we're willing to bet on the value proposition that we have and the trusted experience that we deliver um, that people will do all their primary banking with us. The second big element that's unique to us is that we do have four different loans, as well as brokerage accounts and the ability to buy robo accounts and fractional shares, as well as insurance. And so we're finding multiple touch points to build the business and build the number of members we have, and that's translating into more products. Right. You guys have lots and lots of products. I know that's what you, you, you've always said when you come on here. But when we look at those top line numbers, lending business that continues to make up the majority of revenue and contribution profit. So um, how might you respond to those that argue SoFi is primarily a personal lender and may not deserve a fintech valuation? 
Uh, what I'd say is they have to look at the three business segments. So we do have lending today, uh, which is about 60% of our business. We also have the technology platform uh, that is a huge differentiator. It allows us to not only uh, leverage end-to-end technology and payment processing and core technology, but it also allows us to generate revenue. And so our technology platform, Galileo and Technicis, are generating meaningful revenue and profits. And then our third segment, which consists of credit cards, uh, brokerage, as well as checking and savings, uh, insurance, and a couple of other products, is also growing really rapidly. We did about $64 million in the quarter, and that's that growth rate is only going to continue. Uh, we expect that to be as big, if not bigger, than our tech platform in 2023. And so we have three really scaled businesses that are all working at the same time. The fact that we had our seventh consecutive quarter record revenue reflects uh, record revenue in all three segments this quarter. Okay, Anthony, uh, what's happening with investing and crypto for SoFi? And, and give us your thoughts on what's happened with Genesis and Gemini and this whole thing around promising an interest rate uh, based on crypto accounts that ultimately they were unable to deliver. Uh, sure. First thing I'd say is crypto investing or investing in crypto assets, digital currencies is a very, very risky asset. And investors need to be educated and understand those risks and make sure it's appropriate for where they are financially. Um, a warning that we give at SoFi before anyone buys any uh, cryptocurrency and every time they do is that it's a risky asset and they can lose all their money. And the reason why we say that is because it is an unproven asset. And there are also market participants that are unproven, as we've seen more recently. And so investors need to be very cautious about investing. And if they choose to take that risk, uh, we would recommend that it's a very small percentage of, of what they do. I think giving yields on a, an asset that's not proven is highly risky uh, and something that we do not offer to our members, nor would we consider doing it until it was a proven asset. So I think the mistakes that you see in the marketplace are people taking unnecessary risk and too much risk relative to um, safeguarding their shareholder, their shareholder value. And just to be clear, it's a very small offering at SoFi. Um, we've talked about that in the past. Um, we do not actually take cryptocurrency or move cryptocurrency. We just facilitate a third party uh, platform supporting our members that want to buy it. And they do the transactions and they custody the assets. Well, people reconsidering uh, all of those assets in real time. Anthony Noto. CEO of SoFi, thank you. Thank you. And after the break, is a TikTok ban imminent? Why the CEO agreed to testify in front of Congress? Plus, watch Carvana stock. It was halted earlier with shares now surging. Possible short squeeze there with more than 60% of the float sold short. A lot more tech checks still ahead. Stay with us. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
Welcome back. The CEO of TikTok will appear before the House Energy and Commerce Committee in March as lawmakers consider banning the app in the United States. Lawmakers have already passed a ban on TikTok and government devices concerned about the security and privacy practices of parent company ByteDance, a Chinese company, of course. A TikTok spokesperson called the passage of the bill a, quote, political gesture that will do nothing to advance national security interests. Our Julia Borston here at One Market with me. Good to have you in studio. So great to be here, as always. TikTok essentially moving to the offensive here. But is that really going to work? I mean, it feels like this is a bipartisan issue and a lot of lawmakers have their minds made up. It is a bipartisan issue. But what's so interesting is there's this process that's already been underway with CFIUS, which is part of the Department of the Treasury. And CFIUS and TikTok came to an agreement in principle months and months ago last year. And so they expected there to be an official announcement of the terms they agreed to already. And it's so interesting that TikTok, it seems, is getting frustrated, which is why they've Mm -hmm. taken a little bit more of an offensive stance here to try to get it out there, that they're doing what it takes. They told us that they spent about one and a half billion dollars to make sure that all the data was being moved over from China to servers here in the U.S., but it doesn't seem to be satisfying regulators. And the longer CFIUS takes to come out and say, look, we've come up with a deal that we feel good about with TikTok, the more that there is this growing bipartisan roar of criticism from Congress. Right, more they pile on. Um, So ByteDance is a Chinese company, but there's actually a lot of American money, especially VC dollars, in ByteDance. So I know there's this question, you know, what would they do if they had to? Would they spin off TikTok in order to save money? But the Chinese government may not allow them to do so. Who do you think is pushing for this? Is it the Chinese, or do you think it's those American investors that are like, go to Washington and try and do something about it. I this. think the American investors want to make sure that they're making, getting the most for their, their value. I can't speak to the Chinese angle here. You know a lot more about what's going on over there than I do. But what I think is so essential here is really looking at the power of TikTok in terms of advertising and also user engagement. There are some striking, really dramatic statistics showing how TikTok is really a threat to market share. We've heard a lot um, from all of the other players, from Meta to Snap, um, even YouTube. They're seeing an impact from TikTok, and they've responded to the success of TikTok by really emulating some of its most uh, popular features, if you will. So what I think the question is now is, regardless of who's pushing it, if there is a crackdown on TikTok, if there is a push to spin off um, those U.S.-based assets separately, who could benefit if those assets are under pressure? And I think Meta, Snap, Um, uh, I would say YouTube, certainly. And I would even point out the likes of Google search and Amazon search. These are areas which have actually been impacted by TikTok because it's so popular. Young people are going to TikTok to search for things rather than searching on Amazon or Google. Well, it was a good luck and it'll be fascinating, Julia, to see uh, how this all shakes out. Yeah. Can't wait to see what happens. And this hearing isn't until March, but we'll we'll be watching. Something to look forward to, yeah. (laughs) Carl. All right, thanks, guys. Coming up next, investigating the QQQ revival, why that overly bearish sentiment on tech has led to this retail resurgence. Tesla and NVIDIA, some of the top performers for the index. We're going to trade it next. Speaking of Tesla, check out ARK, the innovation ETF on pace for her best month ever, going back to inception in 2014. Coinbase and Shopify among the top gainers as well. Stay with us. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update this hour. Natural gas prices are down another 4% today. Forecasts, of course, calling for mild winter weather in the coming weeks. Lower heating demand and high inventory levels have driven gas futures to a 21-month low. Nat gas is on track to fall 40% in January, making it the largest monthly decline since 2001. 
The FAA says it's adopted a number of safeguards to prevent a repeat of the computer problems that grounded more than 11,000 flights earlier this month. The changes include measures to keep backup databases from becoming corrupted and requiring a manager to be present during maintenance of the key messaging system for pilots and airports. And Toyota is the world's top-selling automaker for a third straight year. Sales for all of 2022 were basically unchanged at 10.5 million vehicles, despite COVID lockdowns in China and the war in Ukraine upending supply chains everywhere. So there you go. Toyota it is, Carl. Contessa, thanks so much, Contessa Brewer. The triple Qs are surging to start off the year. Despite today's slide, January is on track to notch one of its best months in the past decade. But as stocks skyrocket this earnings season, where can we find some value? Let's turn to one of the biggest drivers of the triple Q spike, and that's Tesla, the electric car maker shooting up after beating on the top and the bottom line. As you know, for Q4, price cuts driving up orders nearly twice the rate of production, at least according to Elon Musk. While not a cheap stock compared to mega cap Peers, our next guest sees, quote, freight train momentum. Is it too late to get in? Joining us today, Interactive Brokers Steve Sosnick is with us. Steve, talk about what you see here and whether or not this train can continue. Um, good morning, Carl. Um, looks like the train is taking a little bit of a breather. It, it's really tough to put together sequential um, updates of greater than 10% two days in a row. And remember also that the stock had been up prior to earnings, a, you know, a good 40% or so this month. Um, so I, it's, it's okay that the stock is taking a bit of a breather. Um, it has been a major momentum play. I'm going to argue it's a major beneficiary of the January effect, which, um, which is uh, it saw a lot of tax loss selling into December, um, which abated in January and, and has sparked a, a lot of the momentum that we've seen across the board uh, in beaten up stocks. Um, but, you know, the, the, the investors heard what they wanted to hear from Elon Musk. Um, and we continue to see uh, our customers and, and the street uh, buying lots and lots of Tesla, although some have started to take some profits today, as is uh, understandable after a run like this. Right. Now, you do say at this moment you find it fundamentally expensive. So then the playbook would be what? Well, one of the things that I find fascinating about Tesla, um, its options, of course, is, as, as have been well reported, are phenomenally um, volume heavy. Um, we see tremendous volume in them. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about this stock is the skew is tends to be inverted right now. What that means is normally we see um, below market options, out of the money puts, traded higher volatilities than out of the money calls. There's a greater premium usually placed on risk aversion than speculation. That's flipped on its head in Tesla. So what that means is um, traders who want to lock in some profits or at least you know instill a little bit of profit-taking discipline are incentivized to write calls against their Tesla position if, they, if they're so inclined. That could be a tough sell in some cases because Tesla investors um, can be you know, almost fanatical about their in their love for the company and its prospects. Uh, but those who take a more disciplined approach might want to generate a little income and take advantage of these um, high volatilities for upside calls. Okay, let's turn to the chips. Nvidia is one of the other biggest gainers in the triple Qs, uh, but it's a tough buy for investors, trading at more than double the forward PE of peers like AMD and Qualcomm. Steve, you, you point out a cheaper way to play the space, the SMH semiconductor ETF still outperforming the S&P year to date. But I also want to know how much, I don't know, risk is there in these names, particularly this week with Fed messaging on demand with implications for inventory. 
and earnings for AMD and Qualcomm coming up when we might get some insight into inventory. <laughs> Yeah, th this is a tough week to predict, and this is why you know we want to be very nimble um, and and under and offer the understanding that anything can change on a moment's notice because of all these earnings that are coming out, be, uh, particularly because of AMD coming on the heels of Intel. Um, AMD, it, uh, by many measures, is an inexpensive stock, but if the PC industry is is going going into hibernation, um, that really doesn't matter in the short term. But when you mentioned, when we brought up NVIDIA before, that has been the stellar performer among the semiconductor industry. And I think to a certain extent, it's been supercharged by the fact that cryptocurrencies have been doing well. Um, the, the, NVIDIA always shows a high correlation against SMH, the, the semiconductor ETF or SOX, the, the Philly Semiconductor Index. But it also always shows a very high correlation to the price of Bitcoin. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the outperformance has been related to um, the outperformance of cryptocurrencies, or at least the unexpected performance of Bitcoin recently. Well, if you want your exposure to semis, you're probably better off doing it by moving into SMH, either through a pairs trade or just outright sort of uh, changing your um, changing your exposures. But I wonder here also, how much risk is there in data center overall slowing down, maybe not as much as the PC industry, but something similar. We just heard from Intel that the hyperscalers are perhaps going through a digestion cycle along with enterprise. Might that hit the likes of NVIDIA and others, maybe even Marvell? Absolutely. That, that's that's right now the fundamental risk to any tech investing um, is we we really did bring forward a lot of demand and now we're now we're trying to figure out how we're digesting that and so the risk the risk that we need to to understand and this will really only come from the conference calls and the results is how much of that was brought forward uh, versus how much of it is is still intact long term and so you. A lot of this outperformance may be more ephemeral because um, we've seen because we've seen this this outperformance in the past, and now we're sort of digesting it. That's a good segue into the mega caps. Um, a few of them, those hyperscalers that John was referring to. You've got Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Meta, all reporting this week. Steve, your top pick is Alphabet. I wonder, is Sundar Pichai doing enough, in your opinion, to cut costs? Is there an urgency for them to get out their own AI product to counter that incredible rise of ChatGPT? Um, yeah, it's tough to really bet against Alphabet, Google, whatever you want to. I mean, just, just keep calling it Google out of history. Um, it's tough to bet against them. Now, there are definite headwinds that you that you have to deal with. Besides the fact that it looks like Microsoft might have gotten the jump on them um, involving ChatGPT, um, it might you know you certainly have this this over existential problem of the FTC looking into um, into the ad space. Um, but on the other hand, it is fundamentally not a very expensive stock. It's only trading at a PEG ratio of about 1.1, which means you're really not paying any real premium for the growth that this company's been able to do. Again, we, we always, we're going to have to wrestle with any company's ability to, to offer growth in this environment and also how much has been brought forward into the current, into the current quarters. But um, Google of, of the bunch um, is, certainly the, is certainly the cheapest priced. Um, and, when, and one thing about when you buy inexpensive stocks is they tend to have less downside because that's a certain amount of it is priced in. They, it's it's basic simple it's it seems silly to say this but they have less to fall because there's less there's right. less inflation well investors looking for some value in this market uh, steve thanks very much steve sosnick thank you deidre 
Coming up this morning on Tech Check, Moffitt says that after a decade of growth at all costs, the bumpiest parts of the ride are in the rearview mirror. We're going to break down some bullish calls on both Uber and DoorDash when Tech Check is back in a minute. Moffitt Nathanson initiating coverage across the gig economy this morning. Two names that they're bullish on, Uber and DoorDash. We'll start with DoorDash, though. Outperform rating, price target of $79, calling this stock a long-term play in local commerce, predicting margins expand faster than expected. As for Uber, Moffitt thinks the post-pandemic reopening trade still has room to run, more cautious with their mobility outlook. But giving the stock an outperform rating and $47 target, All of this as Amazon announces it is raising the minimum price for online grocery delivery, now $150 for Prime members, with new fees for any order under that threshold. Carl, um, very different propositions, Uber and DoorDash. We think of them similar. I mean, they both do food delivery. But remember that DoorDash is moving more vertical, right? They don't talk about it a a lot, but they're building their own Dash Marts, which is a bigger capital outlay for them. It's owned and operated by them. Uber still remains this sort of horizontal platform. Yeah, it's a fascinating note uh, out of Moffitt. They're definitely more uh, convicted on, had more conviction on, on Dash than they do Uber, John. But a large part of their thesis is about strength in core restaurants. And in their view, the economics there are inflecting where demand is robust, but maybe their marginal costs have stopped going up. That has big implications well beyond these two stocks. Yeah, Tony Shu at DoorDash has long had a different kind of focus on unit economics and has been arguably structuring the business for times such as these. And what I mean by that is DoorDash strategy has been pursuing flexibility for restaurants for them to be able to churn out more different concepts, for example, out of one kitchen to have the option on uh, how much do they want to pay for marketing versus do they even want to just offer pickup. And then also flexibility for customers, which things like uh, Dash Pass, Mm -hmm. where you have the subscription and Double Dash, where you can pick up extra things along with just a restaurant order. I think it's going to be key for investors to see how much is that working for DoorDash, perhaps differently from Uber. Do they start to pull away from them like they did during the pandemic because of their presence in the suburbs? Or Mm -hmm. are people just ordering? ordering in less, though we didn't see that in the last earnings report from DoorDash. And is that hurting them because they don't have a ride-hailing business alongside it? Good questions. I would argue, though, the other side of this, uh, the investment that they're making in their physical micro-warehouses, though, uh, less appealing, potentially for investors looking for more profitability. We'll see how those plans shake out, though. After the break, we will enter the biggest week, busiest week of the earnings season, busiest and biggest, Meta Alphabet Meta. They're all set to report results this week. The tech continues to rebound in 2023, and we will look at how bad the ad recession could be or not be. More tech check after this break. Welcome back. Advertising revenue continues to be in focus this week. Spotify, Snap, Meta, Google, they are all reporting. And Julia Borston back with us to see what the street's expecting. Uh, JB, really critical week. Absolutely, because the earnings this week will reveal just what kind of an ad contraction the digital ad giants, the tech giants are seeing. Starting with Spotify tomorrow morning, Snap tomorrow afternoon, followed by Meta Wednesday, then Google on Thursday. Investors are concerned about slowing revenues, and they're looking to hear about cost controls. 
Spotify is expected to re-accelerate its revenue growth, its ad exposure is mitigated by its subscriber fees. While Snap and Alphabet's revenue is projected to grow just half of 1%, while Meta's is expected to decline by nearly 7%. KeyBank warning of Snap, Meta, and Alphabet, quote, in contrast to 2009, which saw fairly rapid recoveries in ad spend, consumer internet is more penetrated today at both the user and the advertiser level. And there are fewer sources of offline budgets to capture. We advise taking a more cautious stance. Another key topic to watch is what these companies say about chat GPT. Is it a threat? And how do they see the opportunity to use artificial intelligence to improve the likes of ad targeting and also consumers' experience? We'll also have to see what the corporate response is to the regulatory threat, both to Google and also the one to TikTok that we just talked about, Dee. Yeah, Julia, stay with us. Um, we're going to bring in another guest who predicts a strong quarter for Meta and Google. Let's bring in CNBC contributor and big technology newsletter founder Alex Hantowitz. Alex, um, you were just hearing Julia lay out sort of where we come from, where we're starting from as we get these reports. Um could they surprise on the upside? I guess that is what you're saying, because this macro backdrop is strange. The consumers held up pretty well. And maybe there's this thought that companies won't scale back that ad spend or marketing as much as previously thought because the consumer has remained so strong, still has dollars to spend. They could definitely surprise. And there's a couple reasons for it. Number one, the expectations are just so low, right? At this point, investors are starting to get a sense as to what these companies are in a non-zero rate environment. And their expectations have just dropped way down. Advertising spend was down all through 22. And now we're getting a chance to look at the fourth quarter. So it's a very low bar to beat. And I wouldn't be surprised if they beat it. Second, we're finally getting some certainty in this economy, right? The advertisers pulled back spend in the second and third quarter because they had no idea what was going to go on. And now they're starting to say, OK, we get we're half a sense. We know what the Fed is going to do. There's still growth in the U.S. economy. And I think that there's a chance they're going to spend a little bit more than expected. Huh, interesting, uh, Julia, especially after our conversation last week about whether or not the ad market really had bottomed in November, December, the way NBCU suggested. Yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of ad market, though, Carl, remember, because those big di those big media giants, there's a different kind of ad buy at a different cadence with more planning in advance rather than this digital ad buying. You can really turn it on and off with a switch. You can really press a button and say, we're going to spend more, we're going to spend less. So sometimes these last minute ad buys can really indicate anxiety in the mo in the moment, for lack of a better way to, to put it. And I also think it's interesting to see how maybe TikTok could be drawing experimental ad spend. And, and yes, you know you want to reach a certain number of people and you have to figure out where you're going to have the best opportunity to target. But I do think I would really separate those two types of ad spend. Obviously, they both um, are responding to the macroeconomic issues, but it is different. One thing I think is going to be really interesting to watch is this question of targeting and how the Apple operating system change that had a massive impact negatively um, on these companies hurting their ability to target consumers. Have we really gotten over that issue? Are we past that and now on to other challenges. Um, and Alex, I'm curious to hear what you think of that one. Well, Meta's been talking, well, at least internally, there's a great Wall Street Journal report out about how their AI has reduced the hit from like 8% of revenue down to 2.5% mm. of revenue. Those are internal numbers. I, I haven't yet heard advertisers say that they can target the way that they used to before the Apple changes. But the fact that they're making progress on that, I think that's a big deal. Now, what's happened is advertisers have gone around to everyone. They've gone to Snapchat. They went to Twitter for a moment. They went to TikTok. And they said, can you give us performance like Facebook used to? So even if Facebook performance is a little bit diminished from where it was before these changes, 
a little bit of improvement will make a big deal for sure. Right. And certainly artificial intelligence, you know, the buzzy topic on all investors' minds. It may not be generative revenue-wise for Alphabet yet, but it does feel like there's increasing pressure for them to come out and say what they have and how they're going to compete with the chat GPTs of the world. No doubt. I mean, at this point, we know that Alphabet has technology that's equal or better, I think better than what we've seen with chat GPT. Why hasn't it released it yet? It's not going to do the company a lot of good to keep it in research preview mode or keep it internal. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Sundar Pichai and his lieutenants to talk about where this company is going with generative AI. I don't think it's an existential threat yet, but could it get there potentially? And in the meantime, it could take off even a small percentage of search. I mean, I'm in chat GPT every single day talking to it about all different things. And so even if it takes a small bit of what people used to go to Google for, when you look at the numbers, that makes a big difference. Yeah, it is fun to see what I can and can't answer accurately or not. Julia, I know you'll be watching for any mention of um, that AI technology and earnings this week. Both of you, thank you, Julia and Alex. Talk to you soon. Up next, cut investors some slack. Why some are calling for Salesforce to jettison slack. We're going to reevaluate that acquisition with the stock under pressure. One more thing. Cut us some slack, perhaps. Investors and analysts speculating that Salesforce could sell off the messaging service it acquired in 2021 and possibly get back about half of the $28 billion it paid for it. RBC thinks such a move could lead to some major upside for the stock, which is under pressure after a big round of job cuts and activist pressure from Elliott D. I would be shocked if Salesforce could get a $14 billion valuation for Slack given that I think it had an estimated billion dollars in revenue in 2021. So that'd be 14 times, assuming that there was a bit of a pandemic goosing to revenue that a lot of uh, companies experienced during that time. And it was never close to profitable. Yeah, pandemic goosing, that's right. It was acquired for, what, nearly $28 billion. Seems difficult. Raises questions about some of the other acquisitions as well. Tableau for nearly $16 billion. MuleSoft for $6.5 billion. Carl, we know that Benioff has been on an M&A spree and, you know, looking for big targets. And that's sort of why all the activists are surrounding now. It's diluted shareholders over the years. Yeah, interesting today. Morgan Stanley upping their target uh, on Salesforce. They were at 228. Uh, they go to 236. And by the way, speaking of RBC, uh, they've been relatively constructive, at least on the S&P, uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Lori Calvacina, S&P tends to bottom three to six months before the downward earnings revision cycles are done. And in, uh, and in her view, in that context, a lot of has already been baked into the cake. As John said, and Dee as well, uh, going to be an incredibly busy uh, four sessions after today. So uh, get ready. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.